And we also thank God constantly for this. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as it, what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, for you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always, they fill up the measure of their sins, but God's wrath has come upon them at last. Let's pray. God, we are desperate for you. God, each and every morning when we wake up, often we're tempted to forget you, to forget your power, to forget your word, to forget what you have said is true, and, and Lord, to trust in so many other things. God, we are so aware of, of our weakness, and Lord, so often we, we forget your greatness and your ability and your work. God, we come with all of our baggage and all of our thoughts and all of our struggles and all of our trials and all of our worries and fears and Lord we just want to cast them all on you saying Lord we are not able to carry those things we are not able to endure those things we are not able to be strong on our own but Lord you are and God we need you to work and so we ask for you to be at work in and through your word transform our hearts and minds make us renewed in you we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I, I remember when I was younger, I was the youngest of four siblings, and um, I didn't carry a whole lot of weight. My, my word didn't carry a lot of authority as the youngest. I, I was the youngest by three years, and then there's my sister, two more years. My brother is five years older than me, and my oldest sister was, was seven and a half years older than me. So um, my word did not carry much weight at all. And when I would tell them something to do, they, they pretty much ignored me. I, I would have good intentions. I would mean well when I told them to stop doing something or I told them to come inside. We had a, a crab apple tree in the backyard and, and they would be chucking crab apples at each other and I would tell them, hey, come on inside, stop throwing crab apples, come inside. And they were like, no, and then chuck a crab apple at me. And this, this is not a sob story, I didn't get hurt, okay? So, um, but I remember distinctly doing that with my siblings and, and telling them to come inside, to stop throwing crab apples. They chucked the crab apple at me. And then I remember my mom's voice coming out, out the window, the kitchen window. She used to overlook the backyard. And she said, hey, I told you guys, I sent Matthew to tell you to come inside. And her word carried a lot more weight than mine. It, it had authority. And, you know, before, I'd tell them, hey, come on in. They'd be like, why? Why should we come inside? What I should have immediately said, actually, when I first went outside was, hey, by the way, mom just sent me outside to tell you to come inside. That would have had a much different impact, a much different feel, because otherwise, who cares? Who cares what this little brother says, unless it has some kind of authority? Who cares what, what anyone else says, in one sense, unless there's some kind of authority behind it? You know, if you're told some law, some rule to slow down, to not speed, you, you don't really care unless you know there's an authority behind it. And it makes all the difference if, if, you know, your child pipes up in the back seat and says, hey, you need to slow down. And you're like, ah, uh, all right, whatever. And you're going 10 miles over. You see a cop. You slow down. There's an authority involved there. 
There's an external authority involved when you see the lights behind you. There's someone else coming to back up words that you might otherwise dismiss. Paul, as he's getting to this chapter, you might think, why is Paul continually praying and thanking? Why is he continually praying and thanking? He's already in the second chapter and he's still doing this. He's almost at the end of the second chapter and he says, I am constantly praying and giving thanks to God for you. And he gives thanks to them for something that they couldn't do on their own. But for something that's happened in them and to them because of how they've responded. He's giving them an extended thanksgiving. But it's not just, hey, thank you very much. This is an extended thanksgiving. It's meant to promote confidence in what they've heard. Confidence in the authority of the word that they've received. Confidence in the fact that, that the word they've received has weight. It has authority. It has power. It has ability. And so when he's thanking them, he says, I thank God constantly for this. When you received the word of God... He said it made a difference. It made a difference. And you see, receiving the word of God, it makes all the difference. We, you, can, you can receive it as somebody else's word. It doesn't really change anything. But if you know that these are the very words of God, if you know that this is God's word for you, it makes all the difference. And it made all the difference in the church in Thessalonica. He says, I thank God because you, you, something happened that you couldn't generate, that you couldn't do. You were there. You heard. But you received the word of God. You know, when before Amazon, um, if you can remember that, if you're more than 12 years old, maybe, I don't know, um, when you got packages, I used to hate one particular kind of package that would come to our house. When somebody would send uh, return receipt or delivery on receipt, whatever you call that, certified mail, where you had to sign for something. Because if I wasn't home during the day, a package would come, they would knock, you weren't there, they would leave a little tag on your door. Anybody remember those little tags on your doors before? little tags we tried to deliver a package I'm like I don't know how hard you tried because it was in the backyard but anyway so we tried and then and then you know you get the third delivery notice and you're like oh man because the third delivery notice if you weren't there to receive it what happens well it goes back to the post office so you gotta figure out okay where is the post office first of all because who goes there I mean Sorry, I mean, my dad goes there, you know, he's over 70, he gets stamps. I don't know what that's all about. But anyway, so who, go, who goes, I must slam anybody who goes to the post office to get stamps. That's a good thing. Sometimes it's a fun outing. But if you weren't there to receive the package, you had to go and get it and pick it up. Um, you, you weren't able to benefit from it. You weren't able to get the package, and, and anymore, I think, by, by and large, I haven't gotten a delivery on receipt kind of package in many years, unless it's a legal document. And Paul's reminding them, he says, I'm constantly thankful for you because your faith is solid and secure because it's based on receiving the word of God. Not, not everybody received the word of God. Not everybody listened. See, a lot of the, the Jews in Thessalonica, a lot of the unbelievers in Thessalonica, they, they didn't hear the word of God. It wasn't fruitful. When he says, you've received it, it, they've received it in the sense that they've brought it into their lives. They've listened to it. They've contemplated it. They've been there to hear it. Now, an important thing is they were actually there. They came. They were there. They were present. They had to be there to receive it, but they received God's word. And what he's saying is you weren't receiving something that was our opinion. You're not receiving just self-help news. 
This is no self-improvement program. When you come here on Sunday morning, our goal is not that you hear my words. My goal is that you hear what God has to say to us through his word. Because it's through the receiving of God's word that we're transformed, that we're changed. That's why we, we discipline ourselves to come to church on Sunday mornings. Because, you know what, I'm tired when I come here, so I'm guessing you're tired when you come here. But, but part of being changed by God's word is, is merely being here to receive it, posturing ourselves, putting ourselves under it, putting ourselves in a place of humility. And he says, I thank God, because that could only happen because the Holy Spirit was at work in you. So if you're here this morning and you are putting yourself under God's word and you're saying, I need this, even though I don't feel like doing this because I could sleep in or I could get up and make eggs benedict for breakfast, my favorite meal, by the way, for breakfast. Anyway, um, so... <laughs> But you're here, that means that God is at work in you. And he says, I thank God for that. I don't take that for granted. Because you're humbling yourselves underneath of God's word. You're receiving God's word. And I thank God for that because that's a miraculous work that only he can do. You know, last week Dave Crafty talked about growing in intimacy with God. And, and, and he talked about that flowing from our identity in Christ. We have an identity in Christ. But if you're not able to hear that, to receive that, then you're going to be confused. You're not going to understand that the grounds for our Christian walk is our identity with Christ, our identity in Christ. And so then any practice of receiving the word is going to become a legalistic response if you don't know that, wait a minute, I've not received the initial word of the good news of the gospel that says everything about me is because of Jesus Christ. Everything good. I'm accepted because of Christ. I'm, I'm received because of him. The primary way we, we receive God's word ourselves is, is through different disciplines like being here on a Sunday morning, opening up our Bibles, being there in small group on Wednesday nights. Receive God's, through, God's word through listening, through reading, and, and it's not just mere human words. And Paul says, I thank God that you receive God's word. And, and, he, and he says, you know, it's not just the word of men, but you received it for what it really was. It's the very word of God. Now, now, we have to ask ourselves, are, are we receiving? Now, if, if you're here, by God's grace, I trust that you have received God's word, that you've been made alive, hopefully. If not, and you're an unbeliever, I'm glad you're receiving God's word now because God's word is powerful, it's living, it's active. We're gonna get to that in a minute. But are, are you putting yourself constantly, regularly under God's word because God's word is our hope? Receiving God's word is how God changes us. Receiving God's word is how God makes us new. And so we discipline ourselves to be here, to be a care group, to be in the word daily, to do Bible studies, to have other means to receive God's word from us because it's the very word of God. And so the question for us is, are you putting yourself in the place to receive it? Are you humbling yourself under the word of God? Because we receive God's word in order to be changed by God's word. And, and, and in order to be changed by God's word, we accept and we have to welcome it into our hearts. Not just hear, merely hear it and go away. Our goal on Sunday mornings, I'm, I'm hoping that, that, that a lot of you are taking notes. Not because I care about you taking notes about what I say, because that mere process, just writing it down, even if you never look at it again, is often the means that, that God uses for us, not only to hear it, but then to accept it, to meditate on it, to think on what is God doing? What's God saying? Because the acceptance of God's word, it makes all the difference. Now, when Paul mentions the word acceptance, he says, I thank God, not only did you receive it, but you accepted it. He's not just saying, uh, I accept, you know, like I accept this offering, or I accept this gift, or I accept that, or I accept that something's true. No, he's, he's, the word acceptance here, it, it means a, a welcoming. 
You know, imagine a neighbor coming over to your door, knocking on your front door, and you crack the door open, you're barely peeking out the door, and they say, hey, how's it going, Matt? And you're like, hey, um, I'm fine, thanks. And uh, they're like, hey, I-, I thought about, you know, maybe coming over and have a cup of coffee. Well, okay, great, well, welcome. And then you just stand there, and the door's barely cracked. And, and they're like, okay, cool. And they go to make a step, but you-, you keep the door just barely open, and you're like, welcome. And you smile, Welcome but you don't move. They would get the message that they're not really welcome, that you don't really want them there, that you're barring the door, you're, you're using words that say you welcome them, but you're not actually bringing them into your home. You're barring the door like you might to a Kirby vacuum salesman. I don't know if you've ever had those or if they're still around or not, but about 15 years ago, I let one in my house and it was a disaster. And he was there for hours, <laughs> literally. We're trying to figure out, okay, he knows I'm a pastor. How do I kindly unwelcome him? I don't want to accept a Kirby. I already have three vacuums, and yeah. Welcoming somebody is, is to accept him. When he's talking about accepting, he's talking about welcoming in, into our hearts, welcoming God's word into our hearts, bringing God's word into our hearts. You know, if I, if I welcome, said I, I welcome my family to visit any time, but then when they showed up, I didn't let them visit, that wouldn't really be a welcome. And, and if, if I was having a disagreement with somebody and I said, I welcome your opinion, but I just don't want to hear it, you, you might really understand that I can use those words that I'm accepting their opinion, but I don't really want it. That doesn't mean I have to agree with it, but if your boss says that they welcome your feedback, but they make no means to listen to it, then they probably don't really. So Paul's giving thanks that something has happened, something's transpired in their lives that they've not just heard it, they've not just used mere lip service, but they've, they've actually accepted God's word, they've welcomed it as their own, they've embraced it, they've made it their own, they have swallowed it. Jeremiah talks about your words I have eaten, and they're sweet. Welcoming, accepting God's word. How do we do that? We accept God's word by, by intentionally choosing to believe in his word, by, by trusting. That's, we put our trust, our faith in the fact that we need God's word and we live by God's word. That's what Jesus said. He says, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. That's how we live. We live by accepting God's word. Only God's word gives life. And, and here's the really amazing thing. He says, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as a, what it really is. When you listen to the Bible being read, your devotional times, in a Bible study, small group, Sunday morning, you need to realize something. These are not just mere human words. This isn't just English on a page or another language on a page, originally Greek on a page in the New Testament. This isn't just words on a page written down by humans. These are words that have been God-breathed that are profitable for instruction. And you think about that God-breathed word? I mean, the very first time in, in, in the Bible you see God breathing? He breathes his breath of life into Adam, and, and Adam is, is made from clay to a living human being. God's breathing, and, and we're told that God's word in the New Testament says that, that his word is God-breathed. Scripture is God-breathed. It's not merely words of men. Yes, it is the words of men as we've written down, as we have been carried along, inspired by the Holy Spirit. God has inspired the prophets and the apostles to write down his word. And that canon is closed. 
But his word continues to speak and is powerful. It's not just the words of a mere person. When you are hearing God's word read, when you are opening the Bible in, in your morning devotional times, I want you to understand something. This is not the mere words of man. This is the word of God, the creator, the one who spoke in eternity sprang into existence. The one who spoke and there was light and dark. The one who spoke and created the world. The one who spoke and there were animals and plants. The one who spoke and his powerful word made alive. The one who, Jesus, when he spoke, his word made dead people alive. And that's the same thing that happens. And that's what Paul's giving thanks for. He says, I'm grateful because you didn't just receive it. You accepted it as the word of God. And it's made a difference. And that's why we do this each and every week. He's not just sharing 10 steps to a better, healthier, or happier you. This isn't five ways to be rich. They've accepted these as God's words. And not just in a detached sense. It, it takes an act of faith to believe and to accept God's word. And, and so what we believe as Christians is that these words that we have are, are God's very own words. That they have authority over our heart and our mind and our behavior. See, God is our creator. And as our creator, he has a right to not only tell us what to do, but to inform us, to instruct us about who we really are because he's the one who designed us and made us. He knows who we are better than we do. He knows everything about us, ins and outs, and he knows what's best for us, what his intents and purposes are for us, and he knows his plans for us. He knows the way we should go, and he wants what's best for us. He loves us. He's able to do that, and, and the primary way we receive all those things is through his word. We accept his word, and that's what Paul's giving thanks to God for in them. Do you accept God's word? Do you welcome it in, in matters of the heart? Do you accept God's word and welcome its authority in, in, in your thinking, in your work, in your behavior? Do you meditate on it? Do you believe it's true? Does it govern your behavior? I was reading this past week about a marathon runner it was uh, April 19th, actually, but I just read this past week, an April 19th article in Sports Illustrated, and it says, you know, hey, the 1904 Olympic marathon in St. Louis had Frederick Lortz, who appeared to win, but was later disqualified. After it was revealed, he rode in a car for 11 miles during the race. 1980, the Boston Marathon had Rosie Ruiz, whose win was invalidated as she was believed to have barely run the race at all. And now, 2023, has Dr. Joasia Zakruski, an ultra marathoner from Scotland, she was disqualified from the Manchester to Liverpool Ultra in England, which an ultra is a 50 mile race, by the way. An ultra in England, which ain't gonna be crazy to ride that, to run that anyway, so. But an ultra in England for hitching a ride in a friend's car. She finished third in the April 7th, just this past April, just last month. She finished third in the April 7th run, but it was just discovered. Uh, that she had gotten a ride when she covered a mile of the race in a minute and 40 seconds. And they thought, wait a minute, that's really fast. That's faster than any human has done a mile, one minute, 40 second mile. She forfeited her place to a fellow Brit who was the original fourth place finisher. I'm sure they were happy. She was apologetic. She blamed sickness and jet lag for getting into a car. <laughs> She wasn't governed by the rules of the race. They didn't govern her and she was disqualified. She didn't accept those rules as 
having authority for her. She didn't accept those rules as, as the way that she could win the race. When we receive God's word, we receive it, we accept it by saying this is an authority that we accept that we're gonna embrace into our life, that we're gonna obey and live by because we trust, we know that God has a good plan for us, that he has the best in mind for us, that he's not keeping withholding good things from us, he actually wants the best for us and so we put our faith in that. Now doing that alone, if you've done that that should give you confidence. Why Paul is giving thanks? Because he knew that the only way to accept God's word like that, to have faith in God's word, is if the Holy Spirit's made you alive. And maybe you're wavering, maybe you're having difficulty, maybe your small group times are not that great, they're lame. Maybe, you know, on Sunday mornings you fall asleep. Maybe in your quiet times you're like, oh, this is, oh, just feels like a routine. Look back and say, wait a minute, I, I know that I've, I've received God's word. I've, I have accepted it. That means that his Holy Spirit has made me alive. And I thank God for that because that's gonna give me faith that he's gonna continue to. But sometimes we lose faith in that, but most of the time it's because we fail to really put ourselves under his word. We fail to accept his word. We fail to put our place in the place where we welcome his word into our lives. That's why we had Dave come and speak last week talking about the, not only our identity in Christ, but how we grow in our intimacy with Christ. When we accept and welcome and embrace and trust God's words as his own words for our good, you can be sure that God's word will be at work. And, and that's what Paul says to them, that the God's work, his word at work in them made all the difference. The working of God's word is what makes all the difference. The working of God's word is what makes all the difference. I've got a motorcycle in my garage. You might be surprised to hear that because I haven't ridden it in about nine years, maybe eight years. The reason I haven't ridden is not because I don't like riding motorcycles, not because I don't enjoy it, but because it doesn't run. I neglected it. it it's sitting there. The engine needs help. It's useless. It doesn't go anywhere. So it makes me feel like I'm a motorcycle rider to have a motorcycle in the garage. But I'm not really. A non-running motorcycle doesn't get us anywhere. It doesn't do good for us. You know, a tool that doesn't work. <laughs> Somebody was selling a tool on Facebook Marketplace where like it, it, it worked a few weeks ago, but it just stopped working. Like, why are you selling that? Who's gonna buy that? You know, I was, I'm probably gonna put my motorcycle up for sale. It's not worth much because it doesn't run. Paul's giving thanks to him, and it's going back all the way to 1 Thessalonians 1, 5. He says, our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. The gospel is at work. If you have responded, if you've repented and believed and placed your faith in God, then something has happened to you. God's word is doing work in you. And that prior work is meant to give you confidence that God's gonna continue to be at work and that he's working in you even now, that his gospel word is actively at work in you even if you don't feel it. And so Paul's giving thanks. He's giving the perspective. Your faith is based on a solid foundation because God's word is working in you. Even if you don't know it, even if you don't feel it, it's working. It's constantly working, whether or not you're aware of it. I love Isaiah 55, 10. You can write that reference down. I don't have it on the overheads. But Isaiah 55, 10, it, it talks about the effectiveness of God's word. It says, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and don't return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. 
It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that for which I purpose, and shall succeed in a thing for which I sent it. God's word is not mere words on a page. It works supernaturally when we receive it, when we accept it. It's alive, it's active, it recreates. In Hebrews 4.12, it tells us, for the, the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It, it pierces the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart. In God's work, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, we give thanks because not only have you received the word, you've heard it, you put yourself here, you've accepted God's word as true, but also God's word is at work within you. That's what gives us, gives us faith for this church. That's what gives us faith for our Christian walk day by day, that God's word is at work in you. It's supernaturally recreating you, making you alive. That's why we encourage the spiritual disciplines because that's how God works in us and through us. Sometimes we forget and we trust in other things. We trust in techniques or we trust in all kinds of things to change us. But external change isn't going to make the biggest difference in our lives. What's going to make all the difference in our lives is God's word at work in us. It's not a technique, not a side hustle, not a diet, not a supplement, not anything else you seek to improve your life. It's his word working in us. And he's sure that the word is working in them because they are suffering. They've already suffered. He's not saying that in, in, in verse 14, he says, you know, you became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. He's not saying, um, you know, you have to imitate and you have to go and seek out suffering. No, what he's saying is, I'm aware when the word came, and, and he's going back to chapter one, he says, you received it with joy in the midst of much affliction. Man, that can only happen because God's at work in you. And I give thanks to God for that. And that's what he's reminding them of. And that's what we need to hear again is that, that because God has worked in us, he's gonna to continue to be at work, he's currently working in us, that gives us faith and hope for each new day. He says, you suffered the same things that, that we suffered from the Jews back in Jerusalem, you're suffering the same kind of things from your fellow countrymen, and yet you received joy and much affliction, as he said in chapter one. It's the same kind of persecution and opposition we're gonna face as we receive and accept and live under the word as God's word is at work within us, we can be sure that it's, it's gonna enable us to assist, sustain through suffering, to be sustained through suffering. It's gonna enable us to endure and withstand suffering. But you're gonna face suffering if, a, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. And that's what he said, just like them. You faced opposition just like we faced opposition. We got driven out of Thessalonica, he's saying. And they, those who oppose God's word, here's the other thing, those who oppose God's word, so you want, you want to receive God's word, you want to accept God's word, and you want God's word to be at work in you because that's what transforms us, renews us, changes us. But rejecting God's word, opposing God's word, it displeases God and opposes all mankind is what he's saying. It displeases God, so God's displeasure is his wrath. So it's, when you oppose God's word, when you don't receive God's word, when you don't put yourself in authority of God's word, it's displeasing to God. Now ultimately, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, his wrath is not on you, but opposing God's word is displeasing. And he says, not only those who oppose God's word are displeasing to God, but they oppose all mankind, meaning the very best thing, the thing that can help mankind is God's word. And so if somebody's saying, I don't like God's word, what they're saying is, I'm opposing what really mankind needs. I'm opposing all mankind, but the best thing for mankind is God's word. 
He tells us the sure future of those who oppose God's word. He says at the end of verse 16, but God's wrath has come upon them at last. He speaks as if it's already done. If you're not putting yourself under God's word, not receive God's word, not accept it, you're not changed by God's word, you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, then already it's as if God's wrath has come. And as people reject God's word, it's, it's filling up the measure of their sins. We have a, a drainage ditch in our backyard that I, that I dug and it goes down to the road and um, the last couple weeks it was, it's been insanely rainy and that drainage ditch filled up to the overtop. And so when he's saying here, he says, so as to always fill up the measure of the sins. It's like we're filling that up all the way full and saying, you know, not only are we deserving it, if you're opposing God's word, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, all those who oppose God's word, they're, they're filling up, they're earning fully God's wrath. Not just through general disobedience and sin, but through rejecting God's word. What we do with God's word matters. And it makes all the difference. And he thanks God. He's confident because not only have they received God's word, they've accepted God's word. And God's word is at work. In the rest of this letter, Paul is going to go on to address a bunch of different ethical things. He's going to give a bunch of different commands. He's going to give ethical instruction about how we should live. Because really, that's what the book of Thessalonians, or the letter to Thessalonians is about. It's what, what, is, what does living like a Christian look like? But it flows from receiving his word, accepting it, being transformed by it. And it's going to inform how we relate to other people. Has anybody here ever struggled with how to relate to other people? Like, put your hand up. Have you ever struggled with anybody learning how to relate to other people? You have conflict. Well, he's going to address that later on in this letter. He's also going to address something that's prevalent throughout our society today. He's going to address what do we do with sexual temptation? How do we deal with death? How do we deal with dying? How do we, how do we deal with the future and thinking about the future and what our hope for, is life, for life on a daily basis and all of eternity? And, and he's going to do all of that through God's word, informing us, transforming us, making us new. You know, there's, there's a few scriptures that I always have in mind when, when I face different kinds of temptations and I encourage you to do this as well. I encourage scripture memorization not because um, you want to impress other people but for your own thoughts because we need specific encouragement to remind us about what's true and right and good. In Romans it, it talks about not being conformed to this world in Romans 12, 1 and 2 but being transformed by renewing our minds that we may prove what's, what's good and acceptable and Right? In Romans 8, it, it tells us, there's therefore, when I'm struggling with feeling like a loser, feeling condemned, feeling weak, unworthy, I need to remind myself of Romans, Romans 8, 1, which says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For Jesus did what, what we could not do in the flesh. He satisfied the law's demands. I, I need to know those truths. You don't have to get the exact wording right, but you do need God's word to penetrate your heart and mind. You need to know when you're feeling all alone that God is for you. You need to know when you're feeling weak and you're stressed out and, and feeling like you're unable to do something. You need to know that when we're too weak to even know how to pray, that the Spirit prays for us with groanings too deep for words and he makes intercessions for us and that's in Romans 8. You need to, to hear those things. You need to know that if God is for us, then no one can be against us. When we're being opposed, when we're feeling like everybody's saying bad things about us and against us, we need to know that if God is for us, who can be against us? Because he didn't spare his own son, how will he not also with him freely give us every good thing? We need to know that although we feel distant from Jesus at times, that, that nothing can separate us from his love, from the love of Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
not just receiving God's word and accepting God's word, but trusting as God's word to be at work. And as we meditate on his word, his word works in us and transforms us, renews us. There's a, a line in a silly movie that my family likes to watch and rewatch called Nacho Libre, and I'm not endorsing it. I'm just, I'm just confessing it, although I'm not not endorsing it either. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, there's a line when uh, the main character is asking another character, he's saying, have you been baptized? And, and he, he says, no. And he says, you know, why have you been baptized? And he goes, I believe in science. And then he comes up from behind him and baptizes him, you know, pushes his face in some water. But he, he, he says he believes in science. So often today, so many people around us are tempted to trust in things other than God's word. You know, trusting in science. But science can't guide us in matters of the heart. Science doesn't guide us in what's moral, on what's right and what's good. It doesn't tell us that torture is bad. Um, it can just report on the effects of it. Science doesn't inform our hearts, our minds, our ethics, how we believe, what we think, how we view the world around us in relationship to God and other people. Only God's word can do that. And the other thing we're we're tempted to trust is our own personal experience. But but our own personal experience is flawed. Because our, our personal experience is just that. It is from our perspective. We may not be seeing things clearly, and we need something outside of us, something greater than us, something that's objective, because I don't know about you, but often I'm subjective and, and I think about things that are not true, and I believe things that aren't true, and I need objective truth to inform and transform, to renew my mind. Our, our, our personal experience is not really reliable as an evaluation of reality. You know, and by the way, how can our experience, I used to do a little exercise, I would, I would ask somebody who didn't believe in God, and I would start off and say, okay, well, well, how much is there to know about all things? And they would say, I don't know. So, okay, great, write it on the whiteboard, draw, draw a picture of that, like, draw a circle of how, just representing how much is there to know possible. And so they would draw this huge circle, filling up the whole, well, here's everything that's possible to know. I'd say, great, how much do you know? And they would sit and think, and if they were humble and honest, they would probably put a little dot on the board. Great, so... What do you need? Do you need something bigger than yourself to tell you about all of reality? Or do you, do you really only want your little perspective here? Is that, is that, is, is that what we need? No, we, we, need, we need something bigger than us. We need God's word. We need the one who created all things, who knows all things. Our experience is these small, frail, finite, weak creatures doesn't determine reality. God, the creator of reality, determines reality. There has to be something greater. We need God. When we receive, when we trust and accept God's word, his word is at work in us and it's, it's living, it's active. Here's all the things that God's word does. It, it searches our hearts. It, it convicts of sin. It, it sanctifies us. His word is truth and it sanctifies us in the truth. His word transforms us. It renews us. These are all things I'm getting straight from the Bible, by the way. I don't have time for all the passages. His, his word enlightens. It opens blind eyes. It opens up deaf ears. His word is powerful to raise the dead, to make alive. His word revives the soul. His word strengthens us and sustains us. So how do we respond? Let's put ourselves in the place where we're receiving God's word. We're 
accepting and welcoming and embracing God's word and, and we're trusting in God's word to be at work. And, and, and how you do that is you pray. And it's funny that this, where Paul is commending and thanking, he's, he's praying, he's thanking God. Because he knows that they really prayer and the word go together. Pray when you receive God's word. Pray that you'll be able to accept and to welcome to embrace God's word. Pray that God would illuminate your minds as you're reading. God wants us to benefit fully from his word at work within us. Why would we not want to be there? Why would we not want to receive his word? Why would we not want to accept his word? When his, he wants us to benefit from his word at work in us. That's what God wants to do. He wants to transform us, to make us new, to conform us into the image of Christ through his word. Don't, don't keep yourself from the only thing that can really be transformative in your life which is God at work in you through his word and the work of the Holy Spirit. And the question I want to just want to close with is, what, what, if, what if we structured our lives around his word? What would happen? What if we built our lives around his word and what if we built our daily habits around his word what, would, what do you think would transpire what, what if we chose to take his word into our minds and our hearts and, and, and trusted his word to make us whole what would, what would happen you know often I, I, I was thinking about this and I was thinking sometimes I'm, it's like I'm going to the dump and I'm, I'm, I'm picking out what I can salvage and eating out of a garbage dump it's a really gross picture right and then, you know, somebody comes up and they're hungry and we're like, well, I, here's, some, here's some meat, I'm going to dust it off. It's, it's cold and a little moldy, but you can have it. It's, you know, we, when we're feasting on what's garbage, it, it's going to have an effect. But at the same time, if you're feasting on God's word that is always fresh, always new, always at work, always living and active, it's going to transform you. It's going to take shape in you. Good intake is going to shape you. And, and who do you want to be? God stands and says, here is my word. Receive it, accept it. And it'll, it'll be at work. It's in work in you and it'll be at work in you. Let's pray. God, would you give us faith in you? God, if we've accepted your word, we've heard your word, Lord, I pray that you would Give us fresh faith that you are at work in us. And God, I pray not out of any duty, but out of delight. We would delight in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.